0: at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Okay, here we go. Don't you think about- Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Alzheimer Speaks Radio. If you enjoyed our opening music, it's called Clarion Call by the Mark Arneson Band, and you can download that on any of your favorite music platforms. For those of you that are new to our show, Alzheimer Speaks Radio is about raising all voices all around the world, from those diagnosed to those that care and serve them. And so we hope that you will enjoy this conversation and spread the word of our work. We have been doing this since uh, 2011. Before I go ahead and um, introduce our guest today, I always like to give a few shout outs. So first, I want to give a shout out to Dementia Map, which is a global resource directory that we just launched. Everyone is uh, welcome to use that. It's free of charge. It's accessible 24-7. You don't have to sign in and remember a password, none of that stuff. We just want you to feel comfortable. If you are a person with a service product tool, we would love to have you join us on Dementia Map as well. On there, you will find uh, things like the Memory Cafe Directory, uh, Home Instead, uh, Saltbox TV, Coral Health. We've got about 150 categories, so I could go on forever on that. In addition, I want to give a shout out to Arthur's Memory Cafe that we do on the second and fourth Wednesday of each month. And then we are also facilitating a a caregiver group for uh, Brookdale North Oaks with the Shoreview Community Center. And that happens the last Wednesday of each month. And you can find more information on alzheimerspeaks.com on that. And if you really want to mark your calendars ahead of time, the Dementia Research Charity Brace is going to be doing an online event called Together for Dementia, and that'll be November 2nd. So we're going to listen to the foot bar walker, and then we'll be right back. Introducing the life-changing foot bar walker. I'm Peggy from Danville, Kentucky and I'm 91 years old. The foot bar walker revolutionized my care of George. It absolutely benefits the patient and the caregiver both and that's the beauty of it. It's so
1: easy to use. It folds up just like a dream. I got it in and out of the car without any effort at all. The saving that I made from having to put him in a nursing home came to about $192,000.
0: Does someone you love use a walker? Do they struggle To introduce our guests today. But before I do that, I have to let you know that this is in collaboration with the Roseville Alzheimer's and Dementia Community Action Team, who's uh, one of their partners is the Friends of the Ramsey County Libraries. You know, the whole goal of this group is to provide resources and information to caregivers and people living with dementia during the pandemic. So I'm going to go ahead and introduce you to Pat Samples, and she has devoted herself to supporting the well-being of older adults and caregivers for more than three decades. Her eight books include Daily Comforts of Caregivers and Self-Care for Caregivers, a 12-step approach. Well, Pat, I'm so thrilled to have you with us today. So welcome, and thank you so much for joining us.
1: Oh, thanks, Lori. Really glad to be here.
0: Well, you know, um, I always ask every one of my guests if they've personally been touched by dementia in their own family or circle of friends. So if you wouldn't mind kicking us off by answering that, that would be wonderful.
1: Sure. Uh, I, have, I have a dear friend whose husband has had dementia. So I've been kind of walking the trail with her, really supporting her and uh, watching what's happened to him over time and watching him becoming violent and I mean they're just a big changes in in how he lived and how he was treating people and so I've seen the I've seen the pain that's caused for sure.
0: Great thank you that always just gives us a little bit of background it's it's unusual when a guest hasn't been touched You know, it's and um, I think that is just increasing more every every single day. So let's talk about you have written a lot of books for caregivers and people with many types of health issues, um, not specifically just dementia. And you know, there's so many overlaps between caring for this and caring for that. Yet many people who are living with dementia, they have really found that there is great guidance in your books, even if they aren't dementia specific. So in that, I I want you to talk about if you find, are there unique challenges with dementia caregivers versus caring for other situations? And if so, do you have any advice for people on that?
1: Well, I think everything I want to talk about today is going to be very directly supportive of people with dementia caregiving experiences, uh, because what I want to do is to support uh, everybody and any of you who are listening with us today to accessing the wisdom that, that you have deep inside yourself so that you can maintain peace of mind in the midst of all the changes and losses that, that take place because i really believe that that peace of mind is possible you you can have peace of mind no matter what's going on all of us you know have within us what we need to wisely and sanely respond to these circumstances and uh, i believe that you know you everybody here listening is having has in their heart the answers they need but you can only have access to that information if they, if we take care of ourselves and i know that's talked about a lot taking care of ourselves but I I like to think of taking care of ourselves as a way that we can tune into our inner wisdom, that voice of sanity and and serenity that goes beyond a you know kind of a knee jerk survival response. Caregiving starts out as, a, as an act of love. People are are giving care because they love somebody, and then you know then as you become an attentive witness. You start to see the amazing mystery of all the of this unfolding of all the suffering that goes with it and if we're mindful that can bring us to a real state of wonder or recognition of of the sacred but we have to take care of ourselves to to access it so that we can tap into that wisdom and and get in touch with it but we do get bogged down easily in thoughts and feelings that are not always so very loving you know often get in a case of well we wonder what in the world's going on here and how the heck did I get in this situation so that's like quite common So you know so caregiving it, it, it is a burden uh, there's no question about it and uh Laurie the way I see it a great deal of the burden is internal that we get the minds of, this is too much I that's not fair, I can't, I got to toughen up. We get all these conversations going inside of our head. That's what will get us depressed and anxious and scared and resentful. And we'll act out those feelings a lot of times. We blow them up, we keep repeating them, we keep talking about them. And that's kind of often how we get out of balance and and spiral into burnout. And I, I know for myself, I have an expert background in worry. My mother was a very, very good worrier. She would always, oh, oh no. And she never exhaled. (laughs) (laughs) So, and I, you know, I think worry is kind of one way to think about it is that it's love turned to overcare. You know, we stew over things, these worst case scenarios and the stress level mounts. I think sometimes of a song that I, years ago, I enjoyed by Glenn Yarbrough a long time ago. And the song went, worry's a rocking chair. You go back and forth, but you get nowhere. (laughs) One writer talks about worry as being kind of a spiritual nearsightedness. So it's a fumbling way of looking at things and of magnifying their value. And I don't know if you're familiar with Melody Beatty, but her in her book, Noir, she says, worrying, obsessing, and controlling our illusions. They're tricks we play on ourselves. We feel like we're doing something to solve our problems, but we're not. So I tend to think of something like worry as what I, what I call our first voice. It's kind of that survival voice, that instinctive, self-protective survival response that we have that turns around in our head and uh, that kind of takes us over and keeps us stuck and chokes off our energy. And interestingly enough, the word worry comes from an Anglo-Saxon word that means to choke or strangle. And uh, the writer Victor Periton refers to worry as, and I love this, an emotional weed. (laughs) That's a really good description. So, you know, left unchallenged, it, it spreads quickly, it chokes off our inner life. And then it's not only a thought that we're having, but it settles in our body. My tension tends to settle in my neck. You know, maybe yours is in your gut. Maybe it's a headache. Maybe it's you don't sleep well. The body is just kind of shouting anytime my thinking gets off base like that. And and so our first voice is just really wrecking havoc on us. We also, though, have a second voice. And that second voice is available from all the wisdom that we've had in our life. The love we've experienced, that trust in a spiritual good, common sense, that loving, nurturing voice that comforts and gives us courage and strength. Now, Laurie, I want to give an example of that from, uh, from the book, Daily Comforts for Caregivers, which is a book I, I wrote of meditations for every day of the year on caring. And one of these meditations sort of is an example of how this first voice and second voice works. So just kind of listen, see if you can hear the, the, the difference between them. It's called Living in Today. I spend a lot of my time wondering and worrying about what will happen tomorrow, next week, next year. I get fearful that my loved one won't be able to manage, and neither will I. I'm afraid that money, time, and energy will run out. It's easy to get hooked into concentrating on the future. And of course, it's wise to prepare for the future as best I can. But keeping my thoughts churning about possible future catastrophes is a waste of time and energy. It raises my blood pressure, makes me tense and unhappy. If I spend my energy absorbed in tomorrow's potential problems, I can't enjoy whatever's in front of me right now. The present moment is really all I have, and I don't want to miss it. So if you could kind of hear there, there was this shift from this worried voice to, ah, maybe, maybe there's another way to see this.
0: I think so often, you know, you talk about listening to the the wise thing one in your head, but there's also that. That inner critic that like is is kind of the bully. It a lot of times kind of takes over and like you said, makes us go down the rabbit hole. And okay. yet when we're when we're trying to control and worry and obsess, like Melody uh, Beatty said, it, we're we're losing what we have. We're losing the moments. Yes. Um, yeah. Exactly. I know for myself, I didn't realize that for a ways in, you know, on my journey, it took me a while to figure that out, because I was a control freak, you know, and it's just really interesting when you're trying to project. And it, it really turned into the world's problems, not just my mom's. But then, you know, when you're caring for somebody who seem to draw everybody else with problems to you too, when you look yeah. like you're handling it really well. And then that's like, you can't get it's like, how did I get in this bubble? And I can't fix it. Only each one of us can fix it. Like, I I love what you say about, you know, we have the answers within us. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Just kind of slow down and look for the peacefulness that is actually in front of us.
1: I do want to talk a lot more about that second voice in a minute. But I I want to go just a little bit more into these first voices. Because I think the more we can recognize them. And you talked about, you know, controlling is one, uh, which is a really good example. Guilt is another one you know, I'm not doing enough. I should be so much better at this and so on. I think guilt is kind of the Minnesota state religion. If you want to know the truth, (laughs) we're really good at it here. You know, I should be doing more. I should go more often. I should call. And it focuses on our mistakes. real or imagined when I feel guilty, I'll start to do more to compensate. I don't want to feel guilty. So I'm really doing more so I can feel better it just kind of keeps perpetuating and then it can build up into overdoing and then self-imposed suffering. If I just, if I just suffer enough, maybe, you know, that's going to be the answer. In fact, I have a, a reading. I want to share about that in the book that illustrates that it's called demanding too much of myself. I demand more of myself than anyone else. It's as if I think I should be suffering since my loved one is. Sometimes I drive myself far beyond what's reasonable Of course, adding more suffering to my life isn't going to make things better for him. It only makes me more miserable. I run the risk of thinking myself noble or righteous somehow as if I'm a better person because I take on more and more suffering. And this false nobility has a high cost. I become overtired, irritable, resentful. Eventually, my spirit falters. So does my health. I'm unable to give good care when I give so much of myself over to suffering. I would be better off to lighten the pressure I place on myself and give up noble suffering in exchange for sanity. So, again, there's that first voice and then, you know, I should suffer in this like, you know, no, that's not that's that's really kind of insane. And then another voice that you mentioned is controlling, like, you know, well, if people would just shape up, if, you know, if the person I'm caring for would, you know, get their act together, if relatives would help out more, or if they'd get out of the way, or if they'd be more appreciative. And then of the health care professionals, my God, they're really screwing everything up. So, you know, you know, good luck getting other people to do what you want. And Melody Beatty has something really good to say about that. She says, control is an illusion. It doesn't work. We cannot and have no business trying to control anyone's emotions, mind, or choices. We cannot control the outcome of events. We cannot control life. Some of us can barely control ourselves. We certainly can't control the course of our loved one's condition. I want to again just share one other reading here because I think it's another really good example of listening. If you listen for this first and second voice, and this one's about wanting controls, no one understands as well as I do what my loved one needs. If I'm away for a day or even a few minutes, it seems that somebody screws something up. I'd like to take a break, but how can I when I'm the only one that can get things done right? I have to laugh at myself sometimes when I realize how much I want to be in control. I'm so sure I'm right. I'm like a sergeant giving orders and making sure things get done. But when I think I have to take command like that, I never get to let up. and end up tense and tired a lot. Of course, it's just possible that other people who are helping with my loved one's care are also smart and thoughtful people. They may do things in ways I wouldn't, but that doesn't make them wrong. They make mistakes, but so do I, and they're usually not that serious. Maybe I could give others some slack and give myself a breathe. That is
0: so true. That is (laughs) so true. I do, um, some training for communities. And one of the things I talk about is why families act the way they do. Families take this very seriously. Anybody does when they're typically caring for another person. And that weight is heavy, and they know other eyes are judging them. And Mm -hmm. they know they want to perform well for their loved one. And yet, like when someone is placed in a care facility, in a a community, tell staff, family have really limited time to be there. So The only way you can fix a problem is to find the problem. And so that's kind of the mindset sometimes of the caregivers to find the problem. And that's that's... the only thing we're focusing on is the problems instead Uh of the joyful moments and the peacefulness and the calm. And we're only going to find what we're looking for.
1: Interesting. Yes, for sure. That's...
0: That's what I found with myself. That's what I found even with family. I would be I would be watching them so close. And I didn't, I really didn't even know that I was doing it until later when I stood back and then I could, I could almost feel my hawk eyes on them.
1: I hadn't thought of it quite that way, but yeah, it's a, that sense of kind of looking for the problem. That's what kind of becoming, coming in as the sergeant in charge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And
0: it, it gets back into that whole control thing that it, you know, that I can fix it.
1: Mm-hmm. And so
0: often with illness, with dementia or many other things, you can't fix it, but you can support it. And there's a real difference in terms of approach.
1: Yeah, exactly. So yeah, we need that, you know, we need to get to that second voice. And I want to talk about that a little more, Lori, because I think that second voice we sometimes have trouble getting access to it. And I want to just get clearer about what it is, too, that it's really our sane voice, it's our wisdom voice, it's our Common sense voice—it's—it's it's kind of the place where we find the highest truth for ourselves. It's like the transcendent truth, and you know, it's a voice of reassurance, inspiration, comfort, uh, balance. And when we're there, we our energy get freed up, and we, we aren't so stressed out, and we get we feel stronger. And it's, so, it's sort of that let go voice from you know getting quiet, stopping the mental loop, surrendering. And by surrendering, I don't mean giving up but opening up to a larger wisdom that that lives inside of us and i want to demonstrate that for a minute i'm going to stand up for a minute and i'm going to invite anybody that's with us to to do that as well and you can decide if you want to do it with me Um, chair so i can get back here so you can see me and what i'd like to ask you to do is put your arm out in front of you straight out in front of you And then I'd like you to move your arm and hand all the way around to the right as far as you can go comfortably without hurting yourself. And then just notice where you're pointing on the wall where you stop so you can see the place you got to. And then bring your hand around to the front and drop it to your side. And then close your eyes for a moment and let your imagination take over. And without actually doing it, imagine lifting your arm in front of you as you just did. And imagine moving your arm around to that place on the wall where you stopped. And then imagine it going another six inches or more beyond that. And then in your imagination, bring your hand back around to the front, drop your arm down by each side, and then open your eyes, lift your arm again in front of you, and now move your hand around as far as you go and see where you land.
0: Oh, too funny. Oh, what happened? Well, I could go further.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, well, okay. Did you get a longer arm or something?
0: No, <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I, I think, I don't know if my body was more relaxed to be able to pivot a little bit further. You know, the first time I kind of felt a pinch. Yeah. And the second time I could feel exactly when I went past that.
1: Yeah. Isn't that funny? And you know, it's, I don't know for sure why this happens. There might be more than one reason, but I like to think of it as our imagination is part of our inner guidance. Mm -hmm. We can imagine ourselves going beyond where we get stuck. When I talked about surrender, I talked about opening up to something larger and bigger. So this is an example of how we can open ourselves up to go beyond where we kind of keep our thinking stuck. So the first voice is kind of that first place. It's like, well, but things are this way and they have to be this way. And I only know this way and I'm going to worry about it till I die. Or could there be another way? Could we get past that? And that second voice will come maybe from our imagination, from our dreams, from favorite sayings, a sense of knowing that, you know, shifting from your head to your heart. Maybe it's some religious or spiritual beliefs you have. You know, the serenity prayer is a great example. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference or let go and let God is another common phrase that's used wherever you find that inspiration for yourself, whatever its origins, it's available from inside of us. And it can give us strength and courage and confidence and peace of mind. I think this notion of surrender is so interesting because surrender tends to be about like giving up. But this is really about opening up. And, and Ram Dass has something really interesting to say about this surrender of control to a higher answer. I really like what he says. Here's the final shift in perspective, which can help release us from burnout. We do what we can. We care with all our heart. And then we finally let go. We give it all we have and trust the rest to God, to nature, to universe. We do everything we can to relieve someone's suffering. But we're willing to surrender attachment to how we want things to be. Attachment even to the relief of their suffering. Our heart may break and then we surrender that too. That's beautiful. Sometimes we just end up in confusion. Like I don't know what to do or I shouldn't have more answers. We're often thrown into the middle of the. Ambiguity and paradox, and we simply don't know uh what the heck to do. And you know, we're sort of left to simply be in that state of not knowing. And Ram Das says that not knowing is so common when we're caregiving that we might as well make ourselves at home there. <laughs> well, we're less likely to burn ourselves out looking for what's beyond us. And he also says something else. He says, when we meet each other in that place of not knowing deep companionship born of honesty can often arise and I really love that what's the matter oh I don't really know oh well I don't know either but here I am you know just being here I am is sometimes the answer just being present being witnesses to the wonder of what's happening without judgment we let go of the controls of expectations and become as willing as we can be to be grateful recipients of what is so we surrender to to what is opening up to the transcendent truth and you know that's our second voice speaking
0: it's interesting when you said that because i i think we are so uncomfortable being our authentic selves because especially in this society everything is staged and my life is perfect and nobody's life is perfect but we feel so pressured or so many people feel pressured to present that and they they're not comfortable saying they don't know they're not comfortable not having the answers and yet like you said that is a common bond within us all nobody has all the answers and to me when you are your authentic self you draw others that are similar to you and your relationships deepen on a level you couldn't even imagine
1: Yes, the honesty of not knowing is, is, is a real bonding because it's really, yeah, like you say, it's so common. It's really the, it's really the truth.
0: And it gets to the point of support versus fixing. Uh-huh. And and to me, fixing is task-oriented and support is really relationship-based. And uh-huh. so they take on a very different level, humanity-wise, in terms of how we connect. For me, I'll just say on my journey, I finally got to this place of spirituality, me caring for my mom, I had cared for my dad too, with with brain cancer for four and a half years, my mom had dementia for 30. Those relations got to a level I can't even put in words, because they became so spiritual. And even when communication, as we know it, didn't exist, Hmm. we could still communicate. I can't even put it into words, but it taught me levels of unconditional love I didn't know existed. And what I took away from all of that was that was my lesson to learn those new levels and to be able to find that peace, even when you don't have the answers. And then the, the other thing that I'll just throw in, because I think it ties in so much with people's frustrations, is when I didn't know the answers, I found looking back that I was kind of spinning in the minutia and that inner critics voice of oh you're doing it all wrong and you don't have a clue and I, I'm just like taking that all in and going deeper into believing all of that but when I would stop and I would get really frustrated and sometimes I'd have a screaming match with God and I would just go in my basement when everybody was gone and I'd shut all the windows and I would just scream what is the answer funny Pat is that Releasing that allowed me to stop the inner critic having control over me. That worry nice. wart. Nice. And it allowed me to actually look for the answer where before I thought I was looking for the answer, but yeah. I really wasn't. I was I was just like treading water in all of that, but I really wasn't focused. And so,
1: was huge to me. That is huge, and I, you know what I'm hearing, Larry, is that you were able to really notice and give give voice to that first voice you you let it have its say if you will mm-hmm. uh, and because and, that first voice that comes from a survival so it's kind of our survival and when we're in that survival mode we're kind of like a two-year-old having a temper tantrum we're like ah, and we're, you know we're really out of control and it's okay you know just to allow that because we've lost some sense of security and control it's no no wonder we feel like a two-year-old and we need to regain that sense of security and control before we can really be open to changing anything going on or come to a different perspective. So I think you know, one of the ways to do that is you know, find some way to comfort and care for yourself, so whether it's having a, a screaming outburst, whether it's talking <laughs> to a friend whether it's doing yoga or going for a walk in the garden or you know soothing music or massage i mean every everybody's got their own favorite way of of kind of comforting and what i like to do is suggest that when people think about something to comfort themselves you don't start turning to food or shopping or these false comforts but that you look for activities that slow you down that make you feel safe kind of back to your center that remind you that you count and that fill you up and give you energy rather than sapping it. And that puts you in neutral so that you can shift gears. And what I'd like to do, Laurie, is just give a little example of kind of a guided process for doing that right now. So all of us can experience this shift from first voice to second voice. It's, it's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to actually try to do it. So I'd like to guide just a little process if that's all right with you. What I'd like to do is have all of us think about some distressing thought that we're having, whatever it might be. Just have that for a moment. And then we're going to take some time to really attend to what's happening inside of ourselves, to notice, to allow it to soften to allow ourselves to get stronger as as we can, resting in the mystery of our own being, just doing nothing but breathing for a few moments, just noticing your breath, close your eyes, and just feel yourself relax from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet, just softening the muscles of your face softening the muscles of your neck and shoulders, softening your torso, your arms, softening your belly. And just let the softness slip all the way down your legs and into your feet. And from this place of softening, of quieting, of slowing, choose a companion for yourself. Someone who unconditionally would love you has time for you, wants the best for you. It could be divine or human, real or imaginary, it could be a guardian angel, a wise elder, some being that embraces you, would hold you, comfort you, and just feel that love for you that they have for you. Let yourself bask in that feeling of love and acceptance and forgiveness. If you're not sure if you're worthy of it, allow this companion to help you know your own magnificence, your own uniqueness, your own value. Just rest in that unconditional love that asks nothing of you but simply appreciates your being who you are. And as you sit with this being, wherever you might be, bring to this companion your first voice of distress, whatever that. A moment of discouragement or upset is about. And let your loving companion hear you and extend you compassion, relieve you of your burden. Listen for a, a second, wiser, saner voice that offers you a, a larger truth and brings you back into balance. That second voice will be a voice of compassion and encouragement. It will help you see quite clearly how to bring into balance the message of the first voice of distress you've been troubled by. So I'm going to be quiet for just a short time so that you can just allow you to rest in that love and connect in your own way with that companion, that deep wisdom within you that can reassure and guide you about your concerns. Just rest a moment in this silence. You can trust whatever comes to you because it's from inside of you. And just notice as you complete this time of reflection, what what has been given to you. Maybe a clear answer. Maybe maybe further questions to consider. Maybe just to sense it all as well. Let's take a moment to express thanks for what you've been given. And then as you're ready, you can open your eyes and just take in and appreciate what your wise inner voice gave you. That was beautiful. I feel much calmer
0: (laughs) and ready to tackle on that problem that was weighing me down. Uh Uh-huh.
1: Kind of simple, but it helps to be in that loving space, that self-loving space, that's nurtured by, again, whatever you find nurturing for yourself, that's when you can access that wisdom that will shift things and bring you into a, a better state of mind. Yes, you do have upsetting first voices, but the inner wisdom you have, if you take care of yourself and comfort yourself, can lead you to that second voice of sanity and serenity.
0: You know, you had mentioned about yoga and, and different things to kind of help people find that calmness, too. I've never been a screamer, or a yeller, or, or arguer, fighter, or anything. That's why I went in the basement so no one could hear me. It not sure nobody was home, but didn't even want my neighbors to hear me in case they could. I've gotten past that. And now what I have, Pat, is I have a, a burning bowl. And all I did was I went and I bought a cookie jar ceramic cookie jar and then I put stones in the bottom of it and I I write down whatever it is that I want and what I'm thankful for and I burn it in this jar and I think a couple of times I've set the smoke detectors off because I can do it It's pretty, pretty safe you do small things people but that has given me a lot of peace, just releasing that. My daughter has a God box where she writes letters and puts it in her God box and stuff. So there's so many different ways to be able to to find that peacefulness for you and kind of that transitionary space. And I know for me, it's multiple things, like with meditation and might be going for a walk.
1: Yeah, to have a number of things to choose from, and, and to really have the confidence that you do have the answer in there, that it's there, because that I think is what often takes us into panic, is we think I don't know, and I'll never know, and I can't figure this out. And yes, actually inside you do know. You just have to take care of yourself in a way that will open that up for you.
0: Yeah, my granddaughter, when she was five, we we were out. I was walking, and she was on her scooter. And a couple of times as we were going, she would just pop off that scooter and she'd sit down, she'd cross her legs and, and she'd go home, close her eyes. And, wow. I, and I, I mean, inside it was bursting out laughing going, A, where did she learn that from? Because I didn't think that she had seen me doing that you know, I talked to her and she said, well, that was at school, but a couple of times she just felt the need to just pop up and very free. And I, I don't know if she was asking for something or if she was grateful for something. I We didn't go there, but she was so in tune with it and so comfortable with it. It was just second nature. And I thought, oh, how, what a great skill she has learned.
1: Beautiful. Yeah. Very few of us learned how to calm self-calming strategies that we can use because it really is our own deepest truth inside of ourselves that's going to save us not somebody else's solution generally
0: Mm -hmm. i was so glad that she she said that they taught her that at school and and same with my 10 year old she goes oh yeah they teach us that in school Wow! and i'm like good that's great they teach them breathing techniques too which is a great way to calm the body and the mind down there's so much out there for us to learn And to access when we do these things that you're talking about, not only are we able to care better, but we feel better about ourselves and our, and not just that relationship, but I think all relationships, because it centers us feel comfortable again, but it's easy to get wrapped up in that first worry voice. It's easy to push other people away thinking you don't have the time. I know that was a big thing for me too. I, I stopped doing anything social for myself. And Mm -hmm. then I finally broke and met my girlfriends for coffee. And I didn't know until that moment how empty I was Mm -hmm. until they filled me back up.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So those are all, all of those things put together can create such a beautiful experience.
1: Well, it can, and we can do, you know, once we practice some of this stuff, like this simple meditation we did took only about three or four minutes. It isn't like we have to have humongous time to do it. I mean, it could be while we're standing in line at the pharmacy, or it could be they're stuck in a traffic jam or something. Just take that time. And you can't do it really fast. Take the time to be willing to give yourself those few minutes to start that slowdown process.
0: Yeah. Well, and I even found with like affirmations of what I want in my life, I started printing those out and I would read those. I'd take them in the car, I'd read them at the stop signs. So I would like, okay, I'm going to work this in. You know, I would do it in the morning, I'd do it at night, and like maybe before a meal and stuff. And I think the more often I did that, I went into that space, the more I believed it and the faster things
1: changed. Uh-huh. Well, and one of the things I like about that, Laurie, is that so often when we're caregiving, it's hard to even pay attention to what we want. So that's actually one of the tools I also like to teach caregivers is I, I do it this kind of simply, but I just give out a card that says I want and to start paying attention to, you know, I want more members of the family to share responsibility. I want Thursday for myself. I want someone to go with me when I visit my mother. We can ask for what we want but not demand it asking somebody because they should. Mm-hmm. It's asking respectfully and directly and not trying to manipulate people into feeling guilty. And don't you know we don't presume other people know what we want. We can make clear what's our preference, what we'd like, and you know we may get a no, but we may get a yes. We don't need to take either one personally. We just get to ask till we get till we find a way to get what we want.
0: Yeah. One of my favorite stories was uh two friends and uh, one woman was caring for her husband and they, the two of them would go to church every Sunday. And every Sunday, other um, parishioners would ask, oh, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? And she would always say, oh, nothing. I've got it under control. And then her, her friend on the way home said, you don't have it under control. You're telling me you don't have it under control. So she gave her a stack of note cards and said, I want you to go home and I want you to write on every single one of these cards what somebody could help you with. Uh-huh. And she said, when we go to church on Sunday, you bring them with. Somebody asked, you just pull one out or pull the deck out, let them pick. I don't care. She yeah. says, but people want to help you and you're uh-huh. pushing people away. Mm-hmm. And they feel good helping and you're denying them of that. Yeah. So the next Sunday they went to church and somebody asked her and she just uh-huh. pulled out. And she said, I could really use help cut my grass, whatever it was. But she had uh-huh. a whole stack and. You know, and they talked afterwards about how empowering that was really for everybody involved. For sure. Yeah. Because it gave everybody kind of a piece of control and a piece of support and love.
1: Yeah, that's beautiful. It's so simple. And you know, I'm just, I sound, if I'm having a conversation with somebody and I'm struggling. I can hold this up and just go, oh, you know what, there's something I want here. And it's like, it gets people's attention and it, gets, it helps me remember that, oh yeah, there are some things I want.
0: Yeah, because we're, we're really good about circling around things, not being direct, or not even knowing a lot of times, right. we're so busy doing things for others that we think we can't do anything for ourselves. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if you found this, but I found I was doing stuff I didn't have to do, because it made me feel good. I was checking something off, especially with a chronic illness or something you can't fix. Yes. And so I'd have this big long list, and it was all for them. And I'm like, oh my gosh, my ego's got to get back in the box because and I, I didn't really even realize it was about me. I, I really, because it was all about them. So how could it be about me? And then yeah. when I sat back, I just kind of laughed. I'm like, oh my gosh, all of this isn't for them. It's allowing me to feel like I'm more in control than what I am.
1: Exactly. So that, again, kind of being able to, you know, let go of the need to be in control of the situation. Recognizing that you know there's a lot that we that we don't have control over, allowing you know allowing those difficult feelings to be there, mm-hmm. but then giving some comfort to ourselves to reassure that oh, I'm still valuable whether I'm doing everything in the world or not. Another tool I like to talk about is is this one two letter word no. You know I think of no as a way actually to ask for help. Mm-hmm. Is- a way to lighten the burden on yourself. And it's also a way of saying yes to yourself, you know, to what you value, to how you want to spend your time. We teach people how to treat us. So if we want some breathing room, we need to be able to say no. And it doesn't mean anything about them or us. It's just, no, I I don't want to right now.
0: And that's a really hard thing to do. You know, I'm, I'm 62. And I grew up as a little girl that was supposed to say yes to everything and fixing everything. I mean, that was just kind of the mold I popped out of. That was really hard for me. And I didn't learn that till, oh gosh, 40, 45 years old. Mm -hmm. And then it was also realizing that by saying no, I learned the difference between actually really being a caregiver and helping somebody versus being codependent and developing a codependence in that role. And I think a lot of people who care well for others fall into that.
1: Yeah, they really do. And that's actually why I wrote the book Self-Care for Caregivers, a 12-step approach, because I was seeing caregivers who were so incredibly codependent that they were losing their own well-being. I met this 84-year-old man who was caring for his wife and he was so adoring of her and stayed up all day and night to look after her, but his health was deteriorating and he was losing weight. I immediately saw, oh, you know, the 12 steps are such a great guide to self-care. They're such a great guide to uh, finding peace of mind, to surrendering for those people who value the 12-step approach it really can be extremely helpful for caregivers and for people who aren't familiar with it you know the book is one way to, to get acquainted with it obviously when I first met this man at an adult day program and after I'd written the book I was invited to come and give a talk for the program participants and their family members and I remember him coming up to me after the talk and I gave a talk similar to what I just gave now and he came up to me, and he said, boy, I really needed to hear that. (laughs) So that was so wonderful to know that he was, he was really the reason I wrote the book and he found value in it. So that was very satisfying to know.
0: That's wonderful. Well, and again, there's that overlap of terms of how we care. I don't care if it's alcohol, if it's food, if it's a physical person, how we care if it's a young child, all of those things overlap. One of the frustrations that I have is, I still think most people view caregiving as this state of crisis. And yet, to me, it's a natural state. From the time a baby is conceived in the womb, it changes our relationships. It changes how we talk and outcomes and the whole thing. And I, I think, to me, caring is a natural state. And it really isn't one of crisis. But we can choose to view it like that, or we can choose it as being a gift of relationship with people. And that's something I guess I hope will change over time. But the only way that that's going to happen is through people like you that share the experiences of how to find peace and joy in the journey. You know, we've got to get people out of the, the worry loop
1: in that first voice. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And there's so many, I mean, there's so many of that. And I know in, in, in working the 12 steps, there's a lot of opportunity to really look at your own behavior and look at the things that are contributing to your own distress. And to be able to let go of trying to control what's going on.
0: Exactly. But you also help other caregivers put their stories together and help them write. Is that correct?
1: I do. I've helped a number of caregivers write their stories into books because some of their stories are quite remarkable. And many caregivers want the chance to be able to tell the experience that they went through. So I work as kind of a writing coach and sometimes I co-author with people and sometimes I just provide various levels of guidance or editing as a way to support people in telling the story that's so important to them.
0: Wonderful. And now, Pat, we need to wrap up here. Is there anything that we haven't covered?
1: Well, I most want to emphasize and come back to again and again is that we have that access to peace of mind available inside of ourselves. And if everybody remembers that from being with me today, That would be uh, a great gift that they can give themselves. And so I encourage everybody to really listen in inwardly and trust what's there.
0: Agree. I know I found great peace at finding that and wish I would have known about that way earlier. So people can get a hold of Pat by going to her website, patsamples.com, or you can email her at patsamples at patsamples.com. So she kept it real simple for us. Which is wonderful. And is that where they can access your books and things too?
1: Uh, Yes. Uh Books are available through bookstores and all the usual places as well.
0: Okay, great. Well, Pat, I appreciate your time and um, your guidance and your wisdom. Your examples were fabulous. And to our listeners, I hope that you like, click and share this. When you find nuggets that resonate with you, don't keep them to yourself you know, share with other people. Others need this information as well. Or maybe bring it to your support group or your family. There isn't anybody on the planet who can't use the information that Patches gave us because it's applicable in all of our lives. So thank you again. I really appreciate your time, Pat.
1: Yeah, glad to be with you. Bye-bye now.
0: Bye-bye. And for our listeners, we will have another show coming up. And so go ahead and subscribe. We've got lots of great information and wonderful shows. All of them are archived. And, you know, right now we are booked out until October, but that doesn't mean you couldn't be our next guest. So if you've got a story to tell, reach out to me at radio at alzheimerspeaks.com. Bye, everyone.